Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanfor as he begins our latest sermon series, Making Ends Meet, a study in Ruth. We have prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Have you ever thought of yourself or someone else as being bitter? It's an aggressive, unpleasant word. Bitterness is defined as an anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Most everyone, including unbelievers, would not think of themselves as being bitter, but many of those same people would say they have been treated poorly or unfairly. If that's true, what about those in the church? How do they deal with feelings of bitterness? How are we supposed to process those emotions? Have you, online family, ever felt like you're not getting a fair shake from the creator of the universe? If we're honest, many of us would say yes. So if that's true, what now? If we feel like God hasn't taken care of us, what do we do? The good news is we can look into the book of Ruth to see someone that has every excuse to be angry, resentful, and saddened by what God has done. This isn't puppies and kittens here. You'll find no Disney princess. This is real world pain. Spoiler alert, the person I'm referring to doesn't just smile and push through it. She has problems and deals with them in the best way she knows how. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's listen in together as we learn from Ruth 1 that bitterness leads us to minimize the help God has already sent. In life... I don't know if you feel the same way about this that I do, but in life, we just kind of want things to work, right? Like, like I'm doing the thing, I just want the thing to work, right? You, okay, as an example, the thing that always gets me is printers. Like printers, for whatever reason, like I'm constantly fighting with printers. You buy it from the store, it's brand new, there's nothing wrong with it. You plug it into the wall, power comes on. It looks like it's going to work. You, you put the wire over here to the computer. The computer says, hey, you just plugged a printer in. I'm like, yes, you know, you get it, print computer. And you go to click print, printer error. Like, no, 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 I just plugged it in. Like, it's brand new out of the box. It just, it just came from the store. I just plugged it in, and every, it, like, the settings are right. I looked at the settings. The setting, like, it looks, I mean, it's computer jargon. I don't really get what it means, but it looks like it ought to be the right thing, right? And I just want the printer to print, so you unplug the cable and then you look, hook it up to the Wi-Fi and you get the network all going. The network says, hey, hey, we've got a... John, you really appreciate this story. <laughs> the network says, hey, you just added a printer to the network. And like, great, the wire failed me. But now the network, technology will save me. And so the, the network recognizes that there's a printer and you click print and nothing happens. Printer error. I don't know why printers do this to us. I wish... They would just work. And I see all of the nodding. Like, you guys get it. You guys have been through this, and I'm not the only one. But I also suspect that there are other components of our life that we really want to just work. 
Like, we put everything in, and it seems like all of our settings are correct, and, and we just want it to work right, and there's some kind of demon intercepting our print command. Like, we don't understand what's happening. We want to be able to get together with our family and spend time with our family and have fun with our family without there being some kind of miscommunication about where we're going to eat. Like, why can't we just decide where we're going to eat and go have fun? We want for those kind of things. We just want it to work. Why can't it just work? And so this morning, we're starting a new series looking at the life of a lady who really just wanted life to work. And no matter what she did, it seemed like it wasn't working. So we're calling the series Making Ends Meet, because I'm going to introduce you to a woman named Naomi, and we're going to talk a little bit about her life, a lot about her life today, and how all she wanted to do was make ends meet. She just wanted to put bread on the table. She just wanted her family to be good. She just wanted her boys to get married to nice girls and wanted them to give grandchildren. She just wanted life to work. And no matter what she did, it just didn't work out. So will you, will you explore that story with me this morning, Grace Church? Yeah, all right. Well, let's pray together before we, we turn to Ruth. Almighty God, we owe you um, our lives, our very existence. We are here because we were a thought on your mind before, um, before anything else ever was. And God, there's a plan that you're working out, and, and there's a plan that you've revealed to us, but the, the components of how all of that works out, how all of it fleshes out for me personally sometimes just feels like a mystery. And God, we just want life to work. You put us here, why won't it work? Lord, we're returning to you for answers, so God, we ask that you would speak clearly in your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand the mindsets of the people that you've worked through in the past. And God, we pray that your spirit would apply these truths to our hearts today, that we might be changed to follow you as more whole than we were when we walked in. God, we're grateful for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to turn to the book of Ruth, and I'm going to turn there too. So if you need a Bible, you'd like a Bible to, to follow along with, we've got these Bibles that say the story on the front. I think everybody's got one. And we're on page 181. <clears throat> page 180 in the story Bible. This is the book of Ruth. And it's a real short book. It's four chapters. But the four chapters split up really, really well into four weeks. So it's going to be fun to follow through Naomi's life and Ruth's life over the next four weeks. So let's read it together. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died. 
So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pause there. Um, Naomi had it rough. We, we, we started reading in Judges chapter 2 this morning, and that was to set the scene of what was going on. See, the times of the judges, the period of time when the judges ruled, God had already brought this nation of slaves. He'd brought them out and delivered them miraculously and helped them to walk through a sea and brought them into this promised land, and it was good land. And they followed God. They worshiped God the whole time that Joshua led them. It's been a couple of months now since we talked about Joshua, but we're picking up that storyline again. So they, they were delivered from Egypt. They were delivered from slavery. They got into the land and they followed God and they worshiped God as long as Joshua was around. And then Joshua died and they followed God as long as the people that Joshua had trained were around. And then after those guys died, they kind of forgot what they were doing. And so the time of the judges is a time of both political and economic upheaval in the country. So like politically, the, the passage talked about plunderers. So politically, there were other countries that were coming in and, and robbing them. They were plundering the land. There were scavenging bands that would come in and they would take over a city. And, and so politically, the city gets turned over and these people that are just trying to live their lives. So politically, there's upheaval. There's constantly people taking over and fighting for, ba- fighting for control of different territories. And economically, they're devastated. War is, is not good for people who are experiencing siege warfare. Uh, economically. There's no money to go around. So there's complete and total political and economic upheaval. I don't want to make a political and economic commentary on our culture, but Ruth had it worse, or Naomi had it worse than we do. Whatever upheaval we might have, we have a whole lot of stability. God's been very gracious to us. So this political and economic upheaval stemmed from Israel's spiritual rebellion towards God. Like, like we would say, okay, well, they got into the land and things didn't go well because they weren't militarily strong or they didn't fight the blah, blah, blah. When God writes it down, he says, they forgot who I was, and so I let this happen to them. <clears throat> so politically, things are bad. Kings are taken over. You know, you can't trust the government even more than normal. Economically, we don't have any money. And spiritually, like, we're just completely deficit. It's a bad time in the country. And that's Naomi's time. That's the time she grew up in. And she's just trying, she's just trying to live her life. She's a normal lady. She's trying to live her life. And so she and her husband, Elimelech, his name means my God is king, which I think is really, really interesting how some of these names work out. It says, my God is king. So, so, Naomi and Elimelech, they move. They go to Moab. Now to you, you're like, I don't know where Moab is. It's about, you know, 100 miles-ish, depending on how far into Moab, Moab they went. And they had to walk. So it took them about a week to walk there. But what you might not know if you're not familiar with the time of Judges is that Moab was one of those countries that kept beating up on Israel. Like this was a lot like somebody from Japan moving to Hawaii right after the Second World War they weren't really accepted. Like, they knew that there was going to be food there because there wasn't any food back home, but, but culturally, like, where they got to, it wasn't a good place. It was hard. I don't know if you've ever been a stranger in a new land, but it's hard, and that's what they have. So Naomi and Elimelech, they pack up, they move to Moab, and they're hanging out, and they've got their two boys with him and and this isn't real clear in the text in english but malon and chilion their names mean wasting and puny like it's real sad they did not have much confidence that these boys were going to achieve anything in life 
So they take their kids and they're like, this is all we got to work with, God. You know, whatever. Well, they apparently survived long enough to get married, but they get into the land of Moab and Elimelech dies, which is bad news. Like, Naomi doesn't have any way to, to run a farm. Like, legally, she's in a really precarious situation, and she's got all of her hope in her two boys wasting and puny. Like, if that's the names of your hope for the future, like, things are not looking good for you, right? So she gets them married off. They married Moabite women, and they weren't supposed to do that. I, I don't know. I mean, they were just trying to do the best that they could with what they had, and she got them married off, but apparently didn't go very well because shortly after they got married, the sons died too. You feel the tension here yet for a woman who has is, who is done everything? Everybody she's ever poured her life into is dead. Her husband is gone. Her sons are gone. Everybody she ever cared for is gone, and she's left with her daughters-in-law. And the relationship between moms and daughter-in-laws, I guess there's, there's, it's a special relationship. And I think I don't need to articulate any more than that. But that's what she has left, right? So when we meet Naomi, things are not going well for her, right? Let's see what she does in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi, who's been completely devastated by loss and grief, she's out in the fields, right? She's just trying to make ends meet. She's trying to put food on the table. She's got to take care of these two um, daughters-in-law that she has with her. But she hears that food is growing in Judah again. See, there's this whole cycle in the book of Judges where God's people would reject God, and so God would let somebody take over, and things would get bad, and the people would realize, oh, hey, we forgot about God. We should probably worship him again. So they would worship God again, and God would raise up somebody he called a judge, a leader, to kick out the invading army, and they'd be like, yay, God is so good, and then they'd forget again. It's this cycle. There's like seven of them in the book. It's really interesting to watch uh, and really interesting to read. <clears throat> but... Naomi gets word that things are going well in Judah again. And to us, we're like, well, duh. But we have the internet. Like, do you realize that it was unusual, not only for God, like God did something in, in, in Israel again, but then she also heard about it. It's not a guarantee that she would have understood that God was doing something good over here, right? There's a hundred miles or so between what's ha what God is doing and where she is. And she gets word of it. So there's just a little bit of grace there. I just want to point it out, because right now she doesn't have a whole lot to hold on to. But there's a little bit of grace there that God's doing something good, and he let her hear about it. So she decides that she's going to go home now. So she packs up, and she takes her daughters with her, and they walk, start walking home through the desert to find some food. He's like, God, I'm trying to make ends meet, but you just keep ripping them out of my hands. This is the last hope that I have we go with me. Let's read what she says in verse 8. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Let's pause there. She turns around. She's on her, she, they're on the road back to Israel. And I'm guessing they're getting close to the border of Moab. And she turns around and says, look, guys, I don't have anything for you. Like, go home and, 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 may, and may the Lord bless you and take care of you because I can't take care of you. Like, just give up on me. Like, there's clearly stuff going on that I can't control. Like, go home. Right? That makes sense to us. We're like, yeah, of course, she would. But I, I just want to point out a small, small detail. She says, may the Lord bless you. The Lord, in all caps, when that shows up in the Bible, that's God's special name for his people, his covenant name, Yahweh. So somehow, through all of the political turmoil and all of the personal turmoil that's gone on in her life, Naomi's remained faithful to the Lord, remained faithful to Yahweh. She knows who she serves. And... I want to point out, too, the character of this woman, because there's not a lot of details about this. But if there was a CEO or some kind of super leader um, in, the, in the country who had grown this business and it crashed and everything went bankrupt, and he turned around to his number two and his number three guy and said, look, I've crashed this. It's all done. You know, go and find a different job because this, this business is over. And if those two people looked at him and said, no, we're going to stay with you, like, people would read that leader's biography. There was something incredible about the character of Naomi that when she turned around to her daughters-in-law and said, leave, they said, no, we will stay. Women, you guys have it hard. There's, there's a pain in childbearing that you endure. And in bearing children and losing children and losing your husband, there's a pain there. But please remember in your moments of pain that there are younger women watching you and that how you determine and how you lead and how you walk through that pain will determine whether they choose to follow God based on your example. Do you hear me? Men, it's true for us too, but it's very particular here to the women this morning. Verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And pause there. Do you, see, do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, look, if I, things are real bad. I don't have anything for you. If I got married and, and, and conceived of a child tonight, this very night, and there's no prospects on the table, so it's going to take longer. But if it happened tonight, like you'd have to wait for my children to grow up so that you could marry them. Are you really going to wait around for me to bear kids so you can, like, that's a little bit weird. It's not practical for you to stay with me. And I'm going to drop this here so I can pick it up in a couple of weeks, but there is a pragmatism that masquerades as wisdom. And sometimes that can get in 
to the church too. This is a believer, a faithful believer of God who's, who's making a pragmatic decision, thinking that it is a wise decision. But if your calculation of the world and how it works leaves God out of the picture, it's not going to balance out. You're going to continue to be in the red. She has said, the Lord is against me. Let me make the pragmatic decision. There's nothing for you. I have nothing. I'm going home, but I can't even take the farm that Elimelech had to farm it because legally I don't have a son to work it for me. And I can't raise up sons for you to marry. It's not practical for you to go with me. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. So Orpah leaves. She says, yeah, you're right. That's practical. I'm going to go home. This is the last time we hear about Orpah in the Bible. But the book is named after Ruth. I'm just saying the pragmatic decision isn't always the right one. Sometimes we can follow God in a way that seems really impractical. But if he's involved in it, he's going to lead us where he wants us to be. So Ruth clung to her, verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. This is Naomi speaking. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. We don't know much about Ruth, but this commitment is incredible. They read this at marriage ceremonies out of context. Like, this commitment is a serious commitment. She's saying, not only am I going to go with you, but I'm also laying down my past life. I'm not going to worship the gods of my fathers. I'm not going to carry them with me. Like, in the stories of Rachel and Leah, they didn't even make that kind of commitment. But, but here Ruth says, no, I'm leaving those things behind, and I'm going to worship your God. I'm going with you. And if you die along the way, I will drag your body home and bury it. I will take the cost of being with you upon myself. I will take care of you when nobody else will. I don't know why she says this. She's a Moabitess. I don't know what she has seen in the life of Naomi that she says, I will follow you to death and I will worship your God. And so she makes this incredible proclamation, this marriage commitment. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. See, this is, this is an old woman who's been through a lot who's seen a lot of struggles, who says, my life has turned bitter. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to make the pragmatic decision. I'm trying to take care of you by trying to get you off of me. Like hanging with me is not the good thing to do right now. And, Naomi, and Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to take care of you. And Naomi just doesn't say anything. <laughs> do you have a friend like that? 
where they're going through it and they're talking about how bad things are and you're like, well, have you thought about this? And, and don't you forget that I'm your friend and I'm going to be with you through this. <laughs> they don't say anything. Like sometimes, think about it from Ruth's side, like, doesn't that hurt a little bit? I've just made the, like, it's almost a, a marriage proposal. I'm down on one knee. I will go with you. <laughs> And then they keep walking. 100 miles. I wonder what the rest of that week was like. But then they get home. Verse 18. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, which was home. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Not a whole lot happened in Bethlehem. It was a really small town. <clears throat> and the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and the Ruth the Moabite, her, do her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this is one of the reasons why I took the time to explain what their names meant, because it comes in here. Naomi means pleasant, my pleasantness. Like, that's a really sweet name. You might name your daughter Pleasantness. And she comes back into town, and everybody's like, oh, Naomi! And she says, don't call me Naomi, I am not pleasant. Like, clearly, we got it, thank you. I am not pleasant, call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. I'm bitter. Bitter old woman. <laughs> I get it. Like, if anybody has a reason to be bitter, it's Naomi, right? And I also think it's funny that through the rest of the text, nobody ever calls her Mara. They're like, ah, come on. But that's where she's at. Like, she's legitimately there. Like, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. I went away full. I went away with my husband, and, and yeah, the farm wasn't working out, but there was a place to go where we could make ends meet, and I went away full with my husband and my sons, and we went, and we were trying to, to, to make it happen over there, and then Elimelech died, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I've still got my sons, so I'm going to marry them off, and, and, and then they can take care of me, and we can eventually go back and take care of the farm, and then got them married, and then they died, and now I don't have anything, and so I started coming home, and I realized I got these two stragglers with me and my daughter-in-law that told them to leave and I can't even shake the one. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. I get it. But bitterness leads us to minimize the help God has already sent. This is chapter one of Naomi's story and it has been years. Do you, do you acknowledge that? It, it has been years. She is an old woman. She's had a husband, and she's raised two sons to a marriageable age. She's an older woman. But this is only chapter one of what God's getting ready to do. And bitterness, and looking at the circumstances of her life, and looking at the pain that she's encountered. Like, yeah, she's had a lot of pain. If anybody has a right to be bitter, I would say it's Naomi. But that bitterness led her to minimize the help God has already sent. We don't know a lot about Ruth. The next couple chapters are going to talk about her a bit. But she couldn't shake this girl. She tried real hard. She tried everything she could to get rid of her. 
and she couldn't shake her. She said, God has emptied my hands. That must mean God hates me. Now, her description was accurate. Yes, God took everything away from her. Her description was accurate, but her assessment was completely false. God has took everything away from me. Yeah, he did, but it's not because he hates you. If you're going through a difficult time and God is taking things from you, there's a possibility that God will empty your life so that he can fill it with his purpose. That's what he's getting ready to do. You're out there trying to make ends meet and things are going wrong and every time you try to get things to click together and it seems like it's going to work out, it falls apart. And you're going, God, why can't you just like cut me some slack here? I just want things to work. Why can't the printer just print? It is possible that God will completely empty your life so that he can fill it with his purpose. And I want us to see in this chapter that bitterness leads us to minimize the help God has already sent. Naomi doesn't know this, but she's got all the help she needs in that one stubborn little Moabite girl. So this morning as we consider it, I got to ask, are you bitter? Not, not do you have a reason to be bitter? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you are bitter, like, there might be legitimate reasons for you to be bitter. Naomi had reason to be bitter. But she had the courage to say it and to say it to others. Like, don't call me, don't call me pleasant. I'm bitter. So I got to ask, are you bitter? Will you name that? And why? If you are, are there people trying to walk with you through your hardship that you are trying to chase away? Are there people who are saying, I just, I'm praying for you. Like, what can I pray for you? Ah, nothing, I'm fine. No, 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 I'm, really, I'm praying for you. I want to know what's going on. Ah, yeah. If there, there's people trying to walk with you, God might be sending help. And they might not look like much. They might look like a young Moabite widow. She's not strong enough to tend the fields. What's she going to do? But they might be more than enough. God may use normal people's hands. Normal people. We're normal. Are you normal? Well, are you normal? God may use normal people's hands to provide supernatural help to you. This is going to be a key theme through the rest of the book. But will you decide today to let those people who care about what God is doing in your life, will you let those people in to your life? There are people who care about what God is doing in your life and they want to get in, but they can't get in if you don't let them in. You might... <laughs> and let them walk beside you, but I'm not talking to you. I'm not sharing what's going on. I'm just going to deal with it. And grace for us, just briefly, from Ruth's standpoint, it's not easy for her to follow at this point. She's made a commitment, and I think that that commitment's really important. 
but she's trying to minister to somebody who doesn't want to be ministered to. She's trying to take care of somebody who wants to be left alone. So Grace Church is going to be hard. But can you imagine who we can be as a church if we choose to walk alongside and be Jesus' love to people who are just drowning in their bitter lives? I see this all over the city. This is a retirement community. But Grace Church, who could we be if we were willing to be Ruth and say, no, I'm going to walk with you these hundred miles back home? again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.